This morning, I want to take us back to an Old Testament experience that I feel the Lord is giving us as a parallel to where we are at as a church today. And I feel very strongly that the Lord is giving us direction as to what he wants us to be doing and where he wants, us to, where he wants to take us. So this morning, I want to talk to us um, out, of the, out of the Old Testament, starting with uh, Numbers chapter 14. And I, I believe that the Lord is drawing some very significant parallels to what happened with the Israelites in, in, in Numbers. And I think he's uh, making some good calls for us as well. But to understand the context of this chapter, we must go back and look and see the whole story. So setting up the story here, the Israelites have been in the desert for a period of time now after their release from Egypt, after they've been set free from the bondage of the Egyptians. And they have seen God perform many miracles on their behalf up to this point in time. First of all, they all witnessed all the plagues in Egypt that God performed to gain their release. They, uh, they also, as they were leaving Egypt, they were given, they didn't steal, they were given plunder of the Egyptians. So they, they were there a very poor people. They were there as slaves. And when they left, they left as wealthy people. They left, God blessed them. He moved in the hearts of the Egyptians and they weren't only told just to let them go, but they showered them with gold and other valuable things. We, read, we see that in Exodus chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. And it says, I will make the Egyptians favorably, favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman, woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Isn't that amazing? God would do, turn that around here for all those years. The Egyptians have been taking advantage of the Israelites, and God changed the heart. He said, I'm not going to make you take it by force. You're just going to ask them, and they are going to give you wealth. What a blessing. See, we just don't understand how great God is and how God will just minister to us and give us our needs all the time. What an amazing thing. So they, were, so they left. They were there as a poor people, and they left as a rich people. Isn't that cool? And then he also, the, the Israelites also saw them, saw God part the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry ground. What an amazing thought. That, what an amazing experience that must have been. Could you imagine the night, the wind blew all night long, and they, 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 they wake up. If you could have slept that night, you wake up the next morning to see the Red Sea parted. And the ground dried up. What an amazing miracle. He gave them water out of a rock when, as they were moving in the desert. And, and they were thirsty. And, and so God said, told Moses, strike the rock. And they struck the rock. And water flowed out of a rock. And people, this wasn't just a trickle. There were upwards of, of possibly a million people here. How much water does it take to quench the thirst of a million people? I mean... A, the water came out of a rock that would quench the thirst of a million people. Amazing, God, amazing. He gave them manna. He gave them quail. They, they had seen many, many miraculous things, and God, had, God proved himself faithful to them over and over and over again. But yet we find these people still to be unsatisfied and still to be untrusting of God for the days ahead of them. And you know what? It made me think of myself a little bit. God has given us, me personally, he's given me healings in my body. He's given me 
uh, experiences. He's given me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know for a fact that my God lives in my spirit, but yet there are times in my life where I don't trust him. There are times in my life where I'm afraid. There's times in my life where I don't, I'm not satisfied. And that brings, a, that brings a feeling of conviction to my spirit of where am I? Why aren't I? I've seen, maybe not the Red Sea parted, but in my life, something almost as significant. So wow, why aren't I trusting God? So to fast forward to where the Israelites are at this passage, God has promised them that they will inherit a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of great resource and abundant blessing, a land that will meet all their needs, all they want, and they will be able to multiply there, and they will make deep roots, and they will enjoy all their years in the Canaan land, in the land of milk and honey. Now, that's not heaven. Some people look at that and they've misinterpreted that as heaven. That's not heaven. That's living on this earth. And we have the opportunity to go into our promised land as well. It's not heaven. It's living on this earth with the promises of God's blessing. We have the same promise in our life today. So God told Moses to assemble all the leaders of, of, of Israelites in Egypt, and he wants to tell them something. And God is going to lay the plan out for them. And he does this in Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. So he says to Moses, Go, assemble the, the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezerite, the Prez, you say it, uh, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. All right, God promises that to the people. And it's, this is a very important point here that we're going to come back to later, that, that later we're going to see that the memory of, of the Israelites in regards to their existence in Egypt becomes a little skewed. But remember this point right now, that God says, I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt. All right? So the Israelites were not happy in Egypt. There was misery in Egypt. Okay? So just keep that. We'll come back to that later. So we see the promises of God and how he has made them here while they're at the Jordan River, where just across the river is the land that God has promised them. Now they're at the river. They're there. They're at the River Jordan. They can look over the river and they can see the promised land. They're that close to it. So Moses is instructed to pick 12 spies, one from every tribe of Israel, and to send them into the land to spy it out and bring back a report as to what the land is and if it's as good as God says it is. Now, isn't that interesting? <laughs> God promises us something, but yet he says, send out the spies and see if it's as good as God really says it is. You think God's ever going to disappoint you? Do you think if God says something that he's going to not be able to put up what he says he can? No, I don't think so. I think the God of the Bible is very true. So let's see what happens. Numbers, 3, Numbers 13, 17 through 20 says, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up to the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? 
Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land, for it was the season for the first ripe grapes. All right. So now the, the Israelites go in. They spend 40 days in the land doing a scouting report. And they finally come back. And let's move on to see what they say. Let's pick it up at, verse, at uh, verses 25 to 31 in Numbers 13. It says, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this is that they see in their eyes, their, their flesh eyes, what they see. And they were bringing back a true report. There was no lies. There was no, and there was no exaggeration. That was absolutely true. They saw with their eyes how big, how fortified these cities were, how big these people were. There was no lie there. There was no exaggeration. But like us, we see things too in our flesh. We see things too in our world. And then we question, can God do it? And that's exactly what was happening here. They came back and said, we can't do it. We can't do it. And that's absolutely right. They couldn't have done it on their own. And just like in my life, there are things in my life that I just can't do on my own. There are some habits in my life. There are some thoughts in my life. There are some things that my life goes down that I just can't do on my own. That's a true statement. So what do I do with that? I go to God. And I say, Lord, you can do it. You can do it in my life. And that's exactly what the call was made here. Now, what's interesting is that a call has been given here by Caleb. Caleb says, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. So, through the mouth of Caleb, God made a call. He made a call to the Israelites. And here's, the so, here's what's so significant. When God makes a call, a choice is required. When God makes a call, a choice is required. Once God makes the call, a change is coming. A change is necessary. A decision must be made. Are we going to accept the call or reject the call? It's exactly what was happening here. Caleb said, we should go in and take it. We can do it. I have confidence the Lord will give us the land. Make no mistake about it. The call requires a decision, and things will be different afterwards. The call from God brings change, and depending on how the call is answered determines if the change is good or if the change is bad. But understand that when God makes a call, something's going to happen. Let's go and see what happens to Israel. 
Let's see what happens with the outcome based on the choices that this people made. And it's so important that we realize here in this morning that, that God is always waiting on us, always waiting on people to see what their decision is going to be with the call before God moves. He doesn't move before we decide are we going to accept the call or not accept the call. He waits patiently in saying, okay, now what are you going to do with the call, people? I've given a call. Now what are you going to do with it? And that's exactly what happens here. God is not moving until he knows what the heart of the people is. And then he'll make his decision. Now, it's not that God really doesn't know. God already knows, but he's waiting for us, for, uh, for us to make the decision. It's the same way to God for, uh, today, that when God, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's able to do all things for us and in us if we allow him to. And it's not about how much God loves us that determines if God blesses us. It's our free choice to invite him into our presence and to follow his leading and trust him with all our life that determines if he blesses us with true spiritual blessings or not. Was that too much? Can I say that again? It's not about how much God loves us that determines if God blesses us. Did you hear that? God loves us unconditionally. No question about his love. So it's not a matter of does he love me enough to bless me. Yes, he does love you enough to bless you. Yes, he does. But he's also given us a free will, a free choice, that we must invite him into our presence, and then we must follow his leading and trust him with our life that determines if he will bless us or not. Hear that? The Israelites could stay on the other side of Canaan, and if they don't go into Canaan, God's not going to bless them with Canaan until they decide to go across the river. He promised them that. He promised the Israelites the land, but, it isn't, but God isn't going to give it to them until they are willing to let him lead them into the land. And it's the same way with us today, people. God will give us all the things we want, but we must be willing to follow him. We must be willing to let him lead us into the land. And it will require us to take up our cross and to follow him. It will require us to lay down our pride. It will require us to lay down everything in our life that would bring distraction, everything in our life that would bring disturbance to that. And we must follow him with everything that we have. Amen? Isn't that a good word? Isn't that a positive word in our life today? That God will bless us. God wants to bless us. He wants to give us all the blessings that we have. But we must follow him first. He's not going to move in our midst until he knows what our heart is. He's not going to come in and give me a blessing if, he, if, if I'm not ready to receive it. He's not going to come in and bless me with wisdom and guidance and everything if I'm not willing to apply it properly for his glory. That's not the way he works. He works based upon our choices. And that's so amazing that God trusts us so much. That's amazing, isn't it? The God of the universe that trusts us with a free choice. It's pretty amazing. It's a pretty loving God. It's a pretty loving God. Now, let's pick it up in chapter 14. And I'm going to switch over to the message translation here because to get the whole setting here, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Okay? A lot of reading, 45 verses. So hang with me here. I'm going to do it in the message translation because a message is a little bit easier to read in a kind of a story format. So let's read. 
The whole community was in an uproar, wailing all night. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The entire community was in on it. Why didn't we die in Egypt or in this wilderness? Why has God brought us to this country to kill us? Our wives and children are about to become plunder. Why don't we just head back to Egypt and right now? Soon they were all saying to one another, let's pick a new leader. Let's head back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in front of the entire community, gathered in emergency session. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehephani, members of the scouting party, ripped their clothes and addressed the assembled people of Israel. The land we walked through and scouted out is a very good land, very good indeed. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land that flows, as they say, with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Just don't rebel against God. And don't be afraid of those people. Why? Why? We'll, we'll have them for lunch. They have no protection, and God is on our side. Don't be afraid of them. But up in arms now, the entire community was talking of hurling stones at them. Just then, the bright glory of God appeared at the, at the tent of meeting. Every Israelite saw it. God said to Moses, How long will these people treat me like dirt? How long refuse to trust me? And with all these signs I've done among them, I've had enough. I'm going to hit them with a plague and kill them. But I'll make you into a nation bigger and stronger than they ever were. But Moses said to God, The Egyptians are going to hear about this. You delivered this people from Egypt with a great show of strength. And now this? The Egyptians will tell everyone they've already heard that you are God, that you are on the side of this people, that you are present among them, that they, that they see you with their own eyes in your cloud that hovers over them, in the pillar of cloud that leads them by day and the pillar of fire at night. If you kill this entire people in one stroke, all the nations that have heard what has been going on will say, since God couldn't get these people into the land which he had promised to give them, he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now please, let the power of the Master expand. Enlarge itself greatly along the lines you have laid out earlier when you said, God, slow to get angry and huge in loyal love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin, still, never just whitewashing sin, but extending the fallout of parents' sins to children into the third, even the fourth generation. Please, forgive the wrongdoing of this people out of the extravagance of your loyal love just as long as... Just as all along from the time they left Egypt, you have been forgiving this people. God said, I forgive them, honoring your words. But as long as I live and as the glory of God fills the whole earth, not a single person of, whose, of those who saw my glory saw the miracles, miracle signs I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and who have tested me over and over and over again, turning a deaf ear to me, not one of them will set eyes on the land so I so solemnly promise to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with such repeated contempt will see it. But my servant Caleb, this is a different story. He has a different spirit. He follows me passionately. I'll bring him into the land that he scouted, and his children will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are so well established in the valleys, for right now, change course and head back into the wilderness, following the route to the, to the Red Sea. God spoke to Moses and Aaron, How long is this going to go on, all of this grumbling against me by this evil-infested community? I've had my fill of complaints from these grumbling Israelites. Tell them, as I live, God's decree, here's what I'm going to do. Your corpses are going to litter the wilderness. Every one of you, 20 years and older, 
who was counted in the census, this whole generation of grumblers and grousers, not one of you will enter the land and make your home there, the firm, firmly and solemnly promised land, except for Caleb, son of Jehephani, and Joseph, son of Nun. Bring your children, the very ones that you said would be taken for plunder. I'll bring them in to enjoy the land you rejected, while your corpses will be rotting in the wilderness. These children of yours will live as shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years, living with the fallout of your whoring unfaithfulness until the last of your generation lies a corpse in the wilderness. You scouted out the land for 40 days. Your punishment will be a year for each day, a 40-year sentence to serve for your sins, a long schooling in my displeasure. I, God, have spoken. I will most certainly carry out these things against this entire evil-infested community which has banded together against me. In this wilderness, they will come to their end. There they will die. So it happened that the men of Moses sent, out, sent to scout out the land returned to circulate false rumors about the land, causing the entire community to grumble against Moses. All these men died. Having, a, having spread false rumors of the land, they died in a plague confronted by God. Only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehephani, were left alive of the men who went to scout out the land. Then Moses told all of this to the people of Israel. They mourned long and hard, but early the next morning they started out for the high hill country saying, We're here. We're ready. Let's go up and attack the land that God promised us. We sinned, but now we're ready. But Moses said, Why are you crossing God's command yet again? This won't work. Don't attack. God isn't with you in this. You'll be beaten badly by your enemies. The Amalekites and Canaanites are ready for you, and they will kill you because you left off obediently because you left because you have left off obediently following God. God is not going to be with you in this. But they went anyway, recklessly and arrogantly. They climbed to the high hill country, but the chest of the covenant and Moses didn't budge from the camp. The Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came out of the hills and attacked and beat them a route all the way down to Hormah. That was a lot of reading. It's a good story. It's a true story. It's a story that gives us caution today. Because I believe we are paralleling this to a great degree in our church right now. We are at a crossroads in our church, and I believe the Lord is calling us. I believe the call has been made in our church a couple different times not just since I've been here but I think for years I have a prophecy that I might read a little bit later back in 1998 that was given a call one more time to this church and year after year after year we go so far and then we go back we we'll continue this as we looked at this in more detail look back at what the Israelites initial response to the part was that was given I'm going to go back into the NIV now okay NIV for those that have Bibles Verses 1 through 4 says, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and a whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The people there saw all that there was for them, and they still didn't believe God would be able to give it to them. So they made some very poor choices, and we're going to see later how important these words are and their ultimate destiny. They questioned God's strength, 
and God's ability to deliver the goods that he promised to them. And then they said some very silly things. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to where they had just come from. They wanted to pick a new leader and go back to where they had come from. And this is very important because it tells us a lot about where we're at today, I believe. They were deceived in their minds into what Egypt was. They were delusional in their thinking. This was not the first time they'd wanted to go back to Egypt, by the way. They thought that Egypt was a good place for them, a place where they could eat all they wanted and had safety and where they could raise their families without threat. They thought it was a good place. But didn't we read a little bit earlier how God said, I see you in your misery and I'm going to deliver you from Egypt? All of a sudden now they're in the desert and they're remembering Egypt as something that it was not. It was not a good place. It was a place of bondage for them. It was a place of slavery for them. There was no freedom for them in Egypt. Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. This is another occasion where they wanted to go back to Egypt. This was earlier in their existence. It says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. <laughs> and isn't it interesting here to note a couple words that I think really, really came out to me. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. Now what is rabble? I looked up the meaning of rabble. A meaning of rabble is... The unruly crowd. The unruly crowd. It wasn't everyone that felt this way. It was an unruly crowd that stepped up within the Israelite camp. And they're the ones that, that was a faction of the Israelites that caused the problems. Not everyone was tired of the manna. Not everyone wasn't appreciative of what God was doing in their midst. There was an unruly crowd that stood up and said, if we could only go back, if we could only go back to that land of, of free food. Well, if you're in slavery, there's no such thing as free food. You're working for everything that you get if you're in slavery. There is nothing there. They did not have all they could eat when they wanted it. They were so delusional in their thinking, they thought they were going to go back to a better place. But what they were going back to was severe punishment and let's think about it Let, let's go back there a little bit let's let's understand if if they really were going to go back what would it have been for them see i'm going to come back to it in a minute but right now they are at the river jordan they are at the spot where god says i will take you into the promised land all you have to do is say take me lord all you have to say is, I trust you, God. I trust you, God, to take me in across the river and know that you will take the land. And right then and there, their wandering could have been over. Right then and there, they were primed to go into the promised land and to the land of flowing of milk and honey. The spies brought back all that was there. The spies brought back the good report, and they were right on the cusp. If all they would have done is put down their arrogance, put down their pride, put down their untrusting God, and say, take me over, right then and there it would have been done. And they would have been in the land of promise. But what happened? Their delusional thinking 
cost them the ability to move into the promised land at that very moment. God would have opened the River Jordan at that time and they would have had everything they wanted and more. But the problem was the people just didn't get it. They didn't understand what God had for them. They didn't understand God had a better plan. If they just would have listened and obeyed, God promised them, he promised them good life. God promised them. But by them thinking that it was better to pick up a new leader and to travel back to Egypt, they thought that was a better plan. It was this disobedient thinking and this rebellious heart that cost them their lives. Listen to how serious this is, people. It cost them their lives. And the fact is that if they would have gone back to Egypt, they would have gone back into slavery and bondage. It wasn't what they thought it was. It was hard labor. It was food given to them as the Egyptians decided to give them food. And then imagine this. Imagine if they would have trekked backwards. Imagine what would have happened when they came back into Egypt, what Pharaoh's response would have been. Do you think Pharaoh would have welcomed them back with open arms and say, I'm going to give you more? No, what would have happened probably, in my interpretation, is that Pharaoh would have clamped down on them even harder. It would have been even more difficult for them. It would have been under more bondage because Pharaoh said, I'm never letting you go now. I never let you go. You had an opportunity to escape. You had an opportunity to stay free, and you chose to come back into bondage. You chose to come backwards, and because you chose to come backwards, I'm going to make you pay for your choices. And believe me, he would have been tighter than ever. It would have been harder for them forever. And I'm telling you, folks, as as I really believe in my spirit, that the, the times that this church has moved in the past 20, 30 years to that point of the promised land and gone back, that the bondage of the enemy has gotten stronger on this church every time we've gone back. Every time we've faded back, every time we've picked a new leader. How have we done that? I know I'm going to offend people when I say this, but hear my heart. When we've chased out pastors, we've picked new leaders to take us back to Egypt. I'm not angry. I love you. I love you with all my heart. You're my family. And I'm not angry, but my heart's broken because I believe that we are at a strong, we are at a point right now that if we chase out more leaders, we're going back to Egypt. The call has been made on this church over and over again. And if we rise up, if we take the compromise of the church that we think we want to be and not be the church that wants to cross over the River Jordan. There's a stern warning here, folks. A stern warning here. Let me continue. The reason that I say this is because I've been asked a few times by people in this church why I've changed my demeanor in the past few weeks. I already talked about this a little bit. Since I've turned in my resignation with my offer to stay on as pastor until June or July, But let me assure you, folks, that I have not changed my position or my call to the holy living and getting back to the following the Holy Spirit. That was what I had when I came here, and I haven't lost it. I may have become a little more passionate in it, and I may have a little bit more of an increase because I see that the Holy Spirit's moving in our lives. But please, 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 please hear my heart. I am not, I am not in any way angry with people. I'm calling us all to a higher level. I'm calling us all to be willing to move into the promised land. Will you make the move? Will you make the move? Verses 5 through 9. 
Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in the front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehephani, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Once again, the call has been given. A choice now is required. The call has been given. A choice is required. See, those that have tasted the goodness of the Lord want others to see it as well. Those that have entered into the presence of the Lord want others to experience the same blessing with them. When the, when the spies went in to the land, Joseph and Caleb, they saw what God had promised them, and they were excited about it. They were excited. They, they couldn't get back. They couldn't wait to get back. See, they got it. They understood what God meant when he said he promises that, that of, of, the, of the new land, that he promises something that God will deliver on. They got it and they saw it. And not only was the land everything they'd imagined and more, but they had enough faith in God that God would be able to make good on his promise to give it to them. Wow. That's the call. That's the call. But let's read on and see what the rest of the Israelites and God had to say about this. Verse 10 through 12 says, But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. See, obviously here the group didn't get it, and God wasn't pleased. He wasn't happy. And here I see now a little bit differently than what was talked about before, because now the whole community is against the call that was made by the two spies. And let me tell you right now that God is not affected by the number of people that are for or against him. His truth stands up against all mankind, no matter what we do, no matter who we are, no matter how many we are or how few we are, God's truth will win. Nobody will stand up against God. No man will mock God and live. Understand that if you're mocking God in your spirit, if you're, if you're mocking God in, in what has happened in the past, you will not live. No man will mock God. Now, listen, I understand how serious this is, and this is, not a, this, is not, um, this is not an attempt to beat anybody up. This is not an attempt to make anybody feel bad. This is a call. This is the Lord's word. This is the Lord's word. God brings blessing. He brings blessing upon blessing if we understand and if we hear. He has a plan that will survive because he's God and we're not. His plan will survive. And we can survive with him if we choose to take the call with him. We can have the blessings that God has for us. We can have it all. There's no reason why this church can't have it all. There's no reason that we have a faction in this church. There's no reason other than we just don't want to. Other than we just have, we're just in such bondage. We're, we're in so, we're, we have so many rights that we're claiming as my rights over God's laws, over God's blessing, over God's instruction. There's no reason why this church can't walk into and be what we need to be in this community. 
And we can be if we would just choose to do so. Moses interceded for the people. Verses 13 and 19. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people, and that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land. He promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the desert. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you be declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And I think what, what this is saying to me here is that we may be saying this about what the town will say about this church in that they see the turmoil, they hear the turmoil. Believe me, there are no secrets in a small town. I've already heard from people that we're having problems up here again. I don't know, maybe you've heard it too, but, but you know, there's no secrets. And so what this is saying is that if we go down this path this way, we're, we're going we're gonna to be afraid of letting the fear of, of, the, of this town direct us. And really what we need to do right now, folks, is that we should all just fall on our faces before God and seek his forgiveness and come together in unity. We come together in unity, there's no split, there's no faction. We come together, we accept his call in our lives, we get our own lives in order. We put down our pride. We put down our rebellion. We come together as one accord, and this place will rock. This place will rock once again. If we come into this place like the, like the early church did in Acts, in one accord, when the people were in one accord, the Holy Spirit fell. But if there's division, if there's, if there's a faction to say, no, I'm going to go back to Egypt, no, I want to change, there's no one accordness here, and therefore the Lord will have spurts of energy, but it won't be sustaining. So I just encourage us that we would continue to press in because he says it, and this is the thing that concerns me, unless we want the sin of the church fathers extending down to punish our children to the third and fourth generation, we should be falling on our faces before God in humility and a grieving heart. That's just what the Lord says. That's what the Word says. He says he does not leave the guilty unpunished, but he punishes the children for the sin of the fathers. Let's continue. Verse 20 through 25. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them. As you asked, nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So here it says that God forgives. God forgives, but he forgives with consequences. God forgives with consequences. And I know we don't like to think of it that way. We don't like to think that there is consequences with God's forgiveness, but there is. You can't argue that fact. You can't get around it. No matter how bad you want your consequences to go away, they're still there. God's forgiven you, but the consequences of our sin are there. That's just the way it is. So let's not argue about it. Nevertheless, there are consequences to the willful and deliberate sin. Now, I know we all sin, we all sin accidentally. We all say things. We all you know, have our problems. We flap the handle once in a while. We say things. We do things. That's not talking about that. 
God forgives that, and, and hopefully there aren't a lot of consequences for that. But when we deliberately, willfully sin, there's consequences. What are, the, what are the consequences for these people? Verses 26 to 35 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephanahai, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children, though, that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. Boy, I know this sounds like a pretty negative word here this morning, and I do apologize for that, but... I, uh, I look at it and say, I wonder, I wonder if the Israelites, and I wonder if they always felt that Moses was negative too. I, will, I wonder if they always thought that he was on the muscle or always beating them up and, and things. And, and I don't know. Um, I, he probably was considered negative by some of the people, but he also led them into the land, and he also provided God's word to them. So, And I don't know, I guess how many times God's word, maybe the Israelites thought that God was negative. I mean, God brought them multiple rebukes. He said, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? Um, in spite of all this, they performed them. I, I, he says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? In Exodus chapter 1, the Lord said, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments? So the Lord, the, the Lord has to bring rebuke in the area where the rebuke's needed. And so uh, don't take it as negative. Take it as the Lord's bringing life in all situations. So it's not a negative word. It, 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 is, it is life. It is life. And until, we, until the Lord breaks the spirit of people, until he gives us a broken and contrite heart, he will continue to give us the words. And once, we, once, we, once our heart's broken, once we're back into a, a right relationship with him, and once we're together in one unity and moving in the same direction, the blessings will come. Believe me, the blessings will be here. They'll be here more than what we could ever imagine. But we have to come together first. Back to our text. The judgment of the Lord will come. So this is pretty serious. God isn't playing games. He's allowing things to happen. He allows people to make their choices until eventually he's had enough and then something needs to happen that will make a difference. And here's the thing about, for me, the saddest thing about this whole situation for the Israelites is that as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, God will give them the enjoyment of the land that you've rejected. But, but, your children will suffer for the unfaithfulness of the adults. Okay, I mean, God could have taken, at that moment in time, think about it, God could have taken all the children then and put them in the River Jordan. He could have crossed them over to live with, uh, with some nannies. <laughs> okay, and they could have been in River Jordan, or they could have been in, in the Promised Land. But God's word came to them and said, no, all of your children are going to suffer for your unfaithfulness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering 
for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in a desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. The saddest part of the entire situation, what breaks me hard about it, is I see these children. I see this youth group up here. I see them worshiping God. I see them wanting to come in. They want to come into the promised land. They want to come in. They want to come in. Let's go in. Let's go in. Let's not make them suffer. Let's not make them suffer because we have, some, we have a faction in this church that doesn't want to go in right now. I don't, for, for whatever reason, I don't know. But let's not make our people Let's not make our kids suffer. Jackie, if you would come, please. I know, folks, what's happening in this church. The lines are being drawn again. It's pretty obvious. The lines are being drawn again. And it may, be, it may result in some type of a split. Now, listen, I'm not calling a split. I'm not speaking, Scott, I'm not speaking dissension. I'm not speaking dissension. I'm speaking what the Lord says. This was a, a prophecy that was given back in, in December 6th. 1998. But the Lord spoke to me and told me. He said, it's now time that I will begin to bring a division within the church. This division is based on the ones who wish to pursue me and the ones who wish to stay with man-made programs and be comfortable. It is now time for my spirit to reign and rule. And because of this, many in your body will leave here as you are not comfortable with my Holy Spirit. They do not understand my purpose and bringing righteousness and holiness back to my people. The line is being drawn. Those that desire to be purged, truly purged, will stand on one side, and those that desire their own way will be on the other. I come to bring a division so that those who are true to me may stand out as a beacon. I will put my honor upon them, and I will also anoint them. They shall do things that will cause the world to shudder and stand in awe of me. People will listen to them because I will cause their hearts to listen to them. I have no pleasure in those who desire to stay comfortable or lukewarm. I have called them, but they do not listen. I will wait no longer. It's now time to bring low the crowd and to expose the iniquity of my people. Understand the times you're in and how I desire to cleanse you. In your sin, do not hide, but turn and run to me and be saved. No iniquity will enter my kingdom. I plead with my children, humble yourselves and repent. I will forgive your sin and restore the joy in your life. That was given December 6, 1998. He didn't say just cross over a tree line. Just cross over this line in the sand and come over and you're in a promised land. No, if he would have said that, it would have made it too easy for us to flip-flop back and forth. We could go over, grab some grapes, and go back in the world and where we lived. We could, we could cross that, that line in the sand way too easily. But the significance of a river is that there were no bridges here. The, the river had to split. And miraculously, the river had to split for these people to go through. And once they got through, they couldn't go back. So what he's saying is, walk across the river with me and stop flip-flopping on your commitment. Walk across the river with me and live this life seven days a week. Come across the river with me. Come across and live in the land that I have for you all the time. It's a commitment. It is a purging. It is, it is moving from one place to another through the, through the miraculous word of the Lord moving, parting the water. 
You see that? Isn't that good? Isn't that good how the Lord uses things that, that, uh, that, that force a commitment from us? That forces a commitment from us because then we know where we're going to stand. So this morning, do we want to move in? Do we want to move to the promised land? It's our choice. It's our choice. Amen. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, I just come before you and your holy name. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to do a mighty work in our midst today, Holy Spirit. Lord, we just now come and we open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just fall on us, Holy Spirit, and draw us and open the waters. Part the waters for us right now, Jesus. Part the waters, Lord, that would take us over to the Canaan land, to the promised land. Lord, that is flowing with milk and honey, and your Holy Spirit's presence is there, Father. Just part the waters for us now as we enter into a time of worship and praise. Lord, I give you the authority to move in our hearts and our midst as you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord now for a while, folks.